All right, good morning, Central Church. How are you today? Awesome, it's so good to see you today. If you have a Bible this morning, open it to the book of Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 3 this morning. We are in a series called When. It's a study in the book of Psalms. It's called When because the book of Psalms teaches us what to do when we encounter all kinds of situations in life. Um, Let me remind you this morning, you are not here by accident. There are no accidents with God. You are divinely supposed to be here this morning. You you are to encounter what you're going to encounter today. You're to hear what God wanted you to hear today. So open your ears, open your minds, and allow God to speak to you today. Lord, we thank you this morning for the power of Scripture that you inspired by the Holy Spirit, that you wrote. Lord, it's timeless. It's changeless. It's profitable for every generation. So, Lord, today, help us hear your voice through the Scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll be in Psalm 3 in just just a minute. Life can be overwhelming. And what I mean by that is is it can be hard to overcome the pressures that we deal with in life. It can be hard to deal with the pressures that we deal with in life, almost like swimming against a riptide. Now, I'm a West Coast guy. Uh, I love me some Huntington Beach, but I don't love the riptide that's frequent at Huntington Beach. And if you don't know what a riptide is, let me explain it to you. A riptide is when the, the, the ocean current that comes into the shore goes out to sea at an incredibly fast and focused way because of what's called a riptide. A riptide is when the sandbar out underneath the waves ruptures. The surf coming in punches a hole in the sandbar somewhere, and that creates this vac- vacuum or suction so that when the surf goes back out, it gets sucked right through that hole. And if you are in that current, that riptide, it is almost impossible, depending on the strength of the riptide, to swim back against the riptide. There's a way out of the riptide. Uh, You just have to swim parallel to the beach. And if you swim parallel to the beach within just a few minutes or or seconds, you can be out of that riptide. Then you can walk into the beach or, or swim into the beach pretty easily. But if you try to swim against that, unless you're like an Olympic swimmer, uh, you're not going to make it unless the lifeguard comes out and saves you. You're going to be overwhelmed. You're going to be fatigued, tired, and completely worn out as you try to swim against the current and the flow of that riptide. And the reality, for instance, there there are riptides in life that overwhelm us. Uh, Things like uh, work responsibilities that just seem overwhelming and wear us out. And we think, are we ever going to be able to complete this or finish this or accomplish this? School can be a riptide. You know, the the challenges, the pressures of school, relationships can be riptides. Family can be riptides that just seem to wear you out. Financial debt can be a a riptide that just weighs on you and overwhelms you. And you you just don't think you're ever going to get out from under that. The expectations of culture trying to live up to what the culture wants can be a a riptide, a pressure that just overwhelms, especially young people, as they're trying to develop a sense of identity and and who they are. So my question this morning to you is, what's your riptide? What's overwhelming you right now? What's stealing your strength? What's stealing your joy? What's stealing your energy? What's making you want to quit? And then the follow-up question to that is, how do we handle riptides? How do we handle life when it's overwhelming? And that's what Psalm 3 is all about. Psalm 3 gives us some clues as to how to deal with life when you're overwhelmed. 
Last week, I shared as we began this, this study in Psalms that there, we're going to discover a number of things in Psalms. One of the things that we see in Psalms is prayers for help, and Psalm 3 is a prayer for help. Another thing we're going to see in the Psalms is, is the psalmist making declarations of, of trust in God, that despite their circumstances, yet will I trust you, God? And both of those are present in Psalm 3. Most of the Psalms have what's called a superscription. A superscription is simply a, sub, a subtitle or a subheading for that psalm. It can be as simple as the, the author of the psalm. The, a superscription could be a psalm of David. Or it can tell us, because the psalms were supposed to be uh, sung, it can tell us how, what, how it's supposed to be related to music. So it might say the superscription for the choir director or to be accompanied by stringed instruments or something along those lines. And sometimes the superscription gives us the context or the circumstance from which the author is writing that psalm. And that's, the, that's what happens here in Psalm 3. The superscription may even be in your Bible uh, underneath the, you know, Psalm 3. Uh, the superscription for this psalm is a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom. A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom. Now, if you don't know who Absalom is, if you don't know the story of David and Absalom, you, you, you aren't going to have a deeper understanding of this psalm. So let me give you a little Reader's Digest version of David and his son Absalom. So David took a wife who was the daughter of the king of Geshur, and her name was Makkah. And Makkah gave David at least two children that we know of. One was a son named Absalom, and one was a daughter named Tamar. And, and, and Absalom and Tamar were really tight. There was a half-brother of Tamar and Absalom named Amnon. And Amnon had a sick obsession with his half-sister, Tamar. And as days went by, he plotted to get alone with her. And when he did, he raped her. And Absalom found out immediately. And Absalom was furious. And David, King David, the father of all three of these, found out. And it angered David. And everyone was waiting for David to do something, to step in and bring discipline or something. And David did nothing. And that further enraged his son, Absalom. So Absalom took the matter into his own hands. Two years later, he set up an event where David's, all the other sons were there, his, his half-brothers were there. And Absalom had it set up so that when Amnon showed up, he would give a signal to his servants, and the servants killed Amnon. Absalom murdered him. Well, you can imagine the, the, what was the, the scuttlebutt in the kingdom when that happened, and Absalom became a, a fugitive. And Absalom went back to Geshur and lived with his grandfather, the, the father of his mom. And he really wasn't welcome back in, in Jerusalem where David was the king. And David made no real effort to, to reach out to Absalom and bring him back. Well, eventually David had a change of heart. And David sent somebody to bring Absalom, his son, back to Jerusalem. And Absalom came. And Absalom just wanted to talk to his dad. Absalom just wanted to get in and reconcile things with his dad. He was so angry. And David wanted nothing to do with him. David wouldn't allow Absalom to come back and even have a conversation with him. And that just further infuriated Absalom. And he said to himself, what's the, what's the worst thing that I could do to get back at my father? And he said, I'm going to steal the kingdom. I'm going to take his kingdom. And that's what he did. 
He gathered people from David's kingdom around himself. He ingratiated himself to all the people in Jerusalem. Pretty soon, there was more people following Absalom than supportive of of King David. And and they eventually made Absalom their king. And so Absalom had this this group of people, this military group that he was bringing into Jerusalem to kill David if necessary and to take over the kingdom. David was a military general. David knew warfare. David looked at the army coming against him, and he looked at what he had in Jerusalem. He said, there's no way we can fight this thing. So David fled the palace. David fled, and he left Jerusalem. He ran from his son, Absalom. So David leaves Jerusalem. He gives up the kingdom. What's going on in David's mind and heart as this is happening? Well, he's completely humiliated defeated, disgraced by his own son. Later, Absalom would go into all of the the king's concubines and publicly humiliate David. So so King, King David is humiliated. People were throwing dust on David and rocks on David as he left Jerusalem in shame. David had no idea if he'd ever be restored as king over Israel. David's going through a major identity crisis. One day, he was the king of Israel. The next day, he's a nobody. David is overwhelmed with this situation. And we pick it up as David contemplates that moment and writes Psalm 3. Let's read Psalm 3 together. David says, O Lord, I have so many enemies. Many are rising against me. So many are saying of my soul, God will never rescue him. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory. You are the one who holds my head high, or the lifter of my head. I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept, yet I woke up in safety because the Lord was watching over me. I'm not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. Arise, O Lord, rescue me, my God. Slap all my enemies in the face. Shatter the teeth of the wicked. Victory comes from you, O Lord. May you bless your people. Psalm 3. So as David writes this psalm in the context of fleeing from Jerusalem, fleeing from his son, his rebellious son, Absalom, what goes into this prayer? What does David include in his prayer to God in Psalm 3? I'm going to give you four things if you want to take notes this morning. The first is this, he gives a declaration of his condition. David gives a declaration of his condition. Let's read verses one and two again. David says, oh Lord, I have so many enemies. So many are rising up against me. So many are saying, God will never rescue him. David's being honest with the Lord as he begins this prayer with his condition. Lord, Lord, this is a bit overwhelming. People have risen up, I'm the king, and people have risen up against me, and now I'm I'm outside of Jerusalem. The phrase there, many are rising up against me, is a word in the Hebrew that means to be constricted or constrained. And it was sometimes used in a military sense, and David was a military guy. And it's it's the picture of being engaged in hand-to-hand combat with another soldier. And you are trying to posture yourself or leverage yourself so you might be able to pull your knife or sword out and kill him, but you're, you're hung up with this guy. And as you're entangled in hand-to-hand combat, the, the enemy's army is moving slowly towards you. 
And you begin to feel and realize, if I don't get free from this soldier and retreat to my army, I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be overwhelmed. So imagine the feeling. You're stuck. You're stuck in hand-to-hand combat. The army is progressing towards you, and there's kind of nothing you can do. Imagine the anxiety in that soldier's heart when he, when he maybe wants to break free or kill the soldier and get back, but the anxiety of, if I don't shake free, I'm, I'm going to be David is confessing to God, I'm overwhelmed. I feel helpless in this situation. I feel like the circumstances are bearing down on me. And then he says, many are saying of my soul, my enemies are saying, there's no help for him in God. David was hearing voices of the enemy saying, you're you're done. You're not going to make it. You know what? We hear those voices too, don't we? We hear those voices inside of us saying, just quit. God's, why do you think God's going to help you? God's not faithful. You can't count on God. You can't count on his word. You got yourself into this. And David got himself into that situation with his parenting tactics. So David's kind of thinking, wow, maybe that's true. Maybe God's not going to help me. Maybe God's not going to answer my prayer. So David is honestly declaring his condition of feeling overwhelmed and anxious before the Lord. And that's really important for us in prayer, amen? To go before the Lord and be honest, Lord, this is how I feel. This is the circumstance that I'm in. But the second thing that David does is he gives a declaration of God's character. A declaration of God's character. He makes a shift in his prayer from, God, I'm in a pitiful situation. God, I'm in a horrible situation. God, I feel helpless, hopeless, and defeated. Now he begins to focus on the character of God. Listen to what he says. Verse 3, but, but you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory and the one who lifts my head. Now, the four most important words you can take away from this sermon this morning, the four most important words you can identify when you are being overwhelmed are the first four words of that second, uh, third verse, but you, O Lord. Man, my life stinks. This is a horrible situation. But you, O Lord, notice the shift. And many people get stuck in their lament. Many people get stuck in their circumstance. Many people get stuck in their pain. And they don't make the transition that David makes to declare God's character. You are a shield around me. Come on, somebody. Now, think about a shield for a second. A shield defends you one way, someone coming at you toward the shield. But David says God's a different kind of shield. God is a shield that surrounds him all around. God is a 360-degree shield to protect David. Throughout the Psalms, David says things like, the Lord is my shield, the Lord is my refuge, the Lord is my fortress, the Lord is my safe place, he's my stronghold, he's where I run to find safety. God conceals me from every enemy at every angle, he's my protection. David shifts from his circumstance to the character of God, my great shield, my great reward. God surrounds me on every side. And then he says this, God is my glory. Now, David had been humiliated, but he says, if my honor, if my glory is going to be restored, it's going to come from God. If my life's going to be put back together, God is the one that restores dignity. God's the one that restores honor in a person's life. And David says, he is my glory and the one who lifts my head. That's a powerful euphemism in Hebrew. That phrase, the lifter of my head, my glory and the lifter of my head, was used to talk about kings when they would defeat an enemy army. So a king would go out and conquer an army. They would bring the captives into their, into their land. Some of them they would enslave. But the kings 
often they would kill as a public demonstration of domination. So the, the, they would call the king of the defeated nation before the king who had won. And that king would be laying prostrate before the king. Sometimes they'd beg for mercy. Other times their pride didn't allow them to do that. And they just understand we're, I'm going to get killed right now. And I'm not going to beg for mercy. The king could do one of two things. The first thing he could do is he could go and put his neck on the, on the back, his foot on the back of the neck of the king. And if he wanted to, he could crush the neck of the king right there and kill him. Or he could call one of his servants in with a sword to cut the king's head off or to execute him publicly. The king had that option. He had conquered that nation. But there was a second option for the king. If the other king asked for mercy, he could extend mercy. He could tell him to stand up. And he could choose. Maybe he thought that that king had something valuable that he could add to his kingdom. Or maybe he was just going to be merciful to he and the captives. He could, he could have him stand up. That was the phrase, he's the lifter of my head. He's the one who restores my life. He gives me life. He didn't kill me. He extended mercy. He delivered me. He's the one that restored my life. The one who lifts your head in the Bible is the one who restores your life. David says, God is my glory, and he's the one who lifts my head. He gives me a fresh start. He gives me a new chance and a new opportunity. He gives me life again, amen? David shifts from his predicament to the character of God, my shield, my glory, and the one who gives me new life. When my daughter Shannon was six weeks old, she went in for her normal checkup, and we knew something was wrong. Her, her head was growing at, at a rate way too fast. Her eyes were sunk in under the weight of, of the, the pressure from her skull, and we knew something was wrong, and the doctor looked at her and said, I think she has hydrocephaly, I think she has water on the brain. We said, well, what does that mean and, and what needs to happen? They explained the condition. They said, you know, this is going to sound oversimplified, but what needs to happen is her head needs to stop growing and her body needs to catch up. I said, I paid you how much money to tell me that the obvious? Thank you, Captain Obvious, for that. But that's what needed to happen. Her head, head needed to stop growing and her body needed to catch up. How will we know that? Well, we, up to that point, when Shannon would lay face down on a blanket on the carpet, she couldn't lift her head up. It was too heavy. The doctor said when she begins to lift her head up and turn it side to side, then you'll know uh, that, that, that there's change. And Shirlene and I came in, in, in contact with Psalm 3, just interesting around that time. And we read that and we said, wait a second, he's our glory and the lifter of our head? We said, oh God, you're the lifter of her head. We just began to pray for mercy. We just began to pray that God would restore her life, that God would be the lifter of her head. And a few weeks later, we're watching TV. She's on a blanket in the living room. We'll never forget that little head popped up. She began to look side to side. We looked at each other and just began to cry and say, he's, he's our glory, and he's the lifter of our head. Amen? The one that restores life to us. That's what David is saying of God in his predicament. He's the, the lifter of my head, the one that gives me life again. David doesn't stop there. Then he gives a declaration of God's faithfulness, a declaration of God's faithfulness. Let's, let's read those verses this morning. Verses 4 to 6, I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy mountain, from Zion. I lay down and slept, yet I woke up in safety because the Lord was watching over me. I'm not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. What is David doing here? David is thinking back to the moments when he prayed to God and God answered prayer. He's saying, I, I remember when I sought the Lord, when I prayed about that problem and that problem, and, and God answered and God delivered me. If God did that in the past, God could do that again, amen? 
So it gave David confidence when he considered the faithfulness of God. And, th and then a phrase that just, just doesn't seem very meaningful to you, I, I, I laid my head down to sleep and I awoke. Well, you're thinking, what's the big deal? We do that every day. No, not when you're being chased by King Saul in the wilderness of Judea. Not when your life is threatened every day by King Saul, which was the case with David. And David and his men were running from Saul's army. Every night they're camping in the hills of Judea. They didn't know if that was the night when they went to sleep that Saul's army was going to invade the camp and kill every one of them that David would never wake up. David went to sleep in that period of his life not knowing if he was going to wake up. And David says, when I look back on that period, I lay my head down and I woke up. Why? Because the Lord sustained me. Amen? Because God was watching over me in my most vulnerable moment. I look back and I see answers to prayer. I look back and when I, was, when I was broken and when I was tender and vulnerable, God protected me. And I know God's going to do the same thing in the future. As David declares the faithfulness of God, it builds faith in him that God will do it again. And the last thing that David does is, is he gives a declaration of God's victory he gives a declaration of his condition. He gives a declaration of God's character. He gives a declaration of God's faithfulness in the past. And then he gives a declaration of God's victory. Here's what the scripture says. Arise, O Lord, rescue me, my God. Slap all my enemies in the face. Shatter the teeth of the wicked. Victory comes from where? From you, O Lord. Now think about this. David at that point probably, you know, as the military leader of Israel is thinking, just give me a few more good men. Just give me a few more tough soldiers. Just, just add to my army, God, and we'll go in and we'll wipe them out. David doesn't have that attitude. He says, Lord, you're my source of victory. W would you jump into this battle? Would you jump into the fray? Would you begin to work in this situation? Because victory comes from God. Lord, would you slap my enemy on the face? Would you shatter the teeth of those that are opposing me? How often do we pray that God will get involved? Or how often do we try to do it in our, our own flesh, in our own strength? I'll take care of the problem. And we do need to act. We don't just need to pray. But how many of us are praying that God would get involved in the battle? God, you are my victory. You're the warrior. You're the one that needs to handle this situation. David says this in Psalm 60, through God, everybody say through God, through God we will do valiantly, and it is he who will trample down our enemies. Think about those four keys in Psalm 3 about overcoming life when it's overwhelming. Bill and Holly Hofer had to put all of this into practice as they experienced the most overwhelming season of their life, as they faced the hardest riptide they ever faced. They needed to put this into practice. Let's listen to their story. They just yelled out, where was God when this happened? Where is he now? I just resolved in my mind that I wasn't even sure there was a God. When you keep things to yourself, Satan has an audience of one that he will take advantage of and is very effective at making you believe the worst. Well, my name is Bill Holfer and uh, I've been attending Central for the last 31 years. I went to the University of South Dakota and got my degree in medical technology, and so I worked as a medical technologist. Eventually, we formed a reference laboratory at Sanford, 
probably 40 years. I was the director of business development there. I started seeing some anxiety in Bill. He would be worried about finances. He would come home from work and say, why can't I do my job anymore? And he was just feeling like, I can't do this anymore. I think my identity was, was pretty much in my job and my profession. And I didn't share this with very many people, but I had been uh, diagnosed as clinically depressed. It was a hopeless feeling. I think that's, what, that's the main thing, is I just lost hope. I suffered what clinically they called later a psychotic break, where I lost touch with reality, basically. Uh, Satan kind of took over. Um, actually, I should have been at work. It was on uh, Friday, December 13th, 2019, two years ago. I remember that because um, I can remember Satan again whispering in my ear, Bill, it's Friday the 13th. It's a great day. It, this is the day that you're going to end it all. I had been texting Bill because he had told me he was going to work. So I went to school, the sub, and I was texting him. And I could tell by the text that he was home, that he hadn't gone to work. And I was also starting to see things on the text that uh, told me things are not well, things are not going well. And so I just picked up my things. My students weren't in the room at the time. I got in the car and I started driving home as quickly as I could. I got there first, the garage door went up. I'm actually expecting that Bill has probably overdosed. So when the door comes up and Bill is in the garage, facing away from me on his knees, I'm very confused, like I'm not sure what's going on. And so as I run up to him and I see the blood everywhere, all over him, all over his truck, all over the floor, uh, splattered on things, um, I realize what, what he's done. I attempted to take my life by cutting my wrist and, and slashing my neck and um, here at home and uh, tried to commit suicide, tried to end my life. So I'm there by myself for a few minutes, um, run in the house, grab towels, and I'm holding them on his neck assuming that's where the wound is. And um, about that time, two women walk, come into our garage, come running into our garage. And I looked at them and I said, who are you? And they said, we're your neighbors. And in my mind, I'm thinking, no, you're not my neighbors. I've lived here for 27 years at that point. I have never seen you before. And one of the ladies started to sing a song, a hymn, I wish I could remember what it was. And the other one said to me, here, I will hold the towel on his neck because he has a greater wound. And at that point is when Bill's arm, left arm went down and I saw where the blood was really coming from. My son Jordan arrives next. He comes running into the garage. Bill just kept saying, just let, let me die, just let me die. And Jordan was slapping him in the face, trying to keep him awake going, no, Dad, you're not going to die. And so as Jordan and I are getting in the car to leave, I say, where are those two women? And Jordan says, I don't know, because he saw them. They were there. 
At that point, I thought they were angels, and I still believe they were because they were the only ones that came. Um, but I found out later uh, that they were actually the cleaning ladies of a neighbor about two blocks away who heard me crying and moaning and screaming and everything else as I'm holding Bill, thinking that he is dying in my arms. I waited several hours for Bill to come out of surgery. I, at that point, not knowing even if he's going to survive and then doctors coming out to tell us that, that he will live, he will survive. He had cut everything down to the bone and really did a number on it. Don't ever lose hope. Don't ever lose hope. Uh, uh, God is, is a God of hope. And don't believe Satan's lies. Satan's lying to you when he says, take your life. That is an absolute lie from the pit of hell. Safe. There is hope. Hang in there. Yeah. It takes, it, it, it will take time. It's a long road sometimes. Shortly after Bill came home, I just made a homemade sign that I put in the garage over the spot where I found him, where it said, This is our holy ground. Spiritual battle was done here, and the light defeated the darkness. Because it did. I mean, it was pretty dark when Bill was doing that, but I envisioned Jesus himself breaking through that garage door and saying, that's enough. Satan is the, the great liar. Tells you lies about yourself all the time, that you're worthless and that you're a failure. I've learned from God's word that my identity is in Christ and that I've been saved and redeemed by God. I have inherited the power of the Holy Spirit whenever people would send Bible verses to me, I would put them over the washing machine in my dryer so that whenever I was doing laundry, I would read those verses, and many of them are still there. Just being able to reread those words of hope, because hope has a name, and his name is Jesus, like the song goes. Uh, I believe that uh, wholeheartedly. I knew that God would be faithful, and that I just couldn't see it. Um, my daughter sent me something that said, um, my eyes can't see the answered prayer, but my faith tells me, praise God before you see it. And so I knew that God would be faithful. The song I always think of is, all my life you have been faithful, all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. And so this is part of that story. I felt that joy and that peace come into my life where I'm probably the happiest now that I've ever been in my life. I was basically a pile of rubble. God rebuilt my life. Special couple. Like David, Bill Hofer was overwhelmed with life, but he experienced the power of God to deliver him from darkness. It didn't come immediately. It didn't come easily. It came through the prayers of family and friends and his life group. It came from returning to what Scripture said about his identity in Christ. It came through professional help, Christian counseling, professional therapy. It came from renouncing Satan's lies and choosing to embrace God's truth. What riptide 
is overwhelming you today? The answer to that question is, there's hope in Jesus Christ. If you're having suicidal thoughts or dealing with mental health issues, or you know somebody that is, please get help. Pastor Roger Anderson on our team is in the, in the concourse today with, with resources, mental health resources. Or if you live here in Sioux Falls, you can call Avera's Behavioral Health Office and get an appointment for an assessment, or you can just walk in and they'll see you. Psalm 3 is a, is a great psalm to learn from. David teaches us that in the most over, overwhelming moments of life, we need to be honest with God about our condition. But we need to shift gears in our prayer and be, begin to focus on and declare the character of God, the unchanging nature of our God. We need to think about the faithfulness of God in the past that will give us faith and strength for the future. And we need to see God as our source of victory. However he might use people, God ultimately is the source of victory. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray and we're going to sing a, a closing song. And as was mentioned before, if you have any prayer needs at all related to being overwhelmed in life, we're going to have some folks up here to pray for you after we sing this song. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for Psalm 3. We thank you, Lord, that we can't control the circumstances of our lives, and many times we feel overwhelmed, caught in a riptide. But you are a shield around us. You are our glory. And you are the lifter of our head, the one who renews life, the one who brings victory. Amen. As you leave this morning, leave in hope that God is your source of victory. And if you need some prayer this morning, we're going to have some folks up here live to pray with you. If you need to talk to someone, Pastor Rogers in the concourse. And tonight at 6 o'clock, we're having our, our reveal night, just a night of worship and, 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 and ministry to the Lord. So come back at 6 o'clock and join us. God bless you.